0: Welcome back to the Mostly Legal Podcast. In case you're just tuning in and wondering what the show's about, we're diving behind the scenes, exploring everything behind all the glitz and glamour of law firms. Over the course of the show, we will be talking to some incredible legal professionals in order to uncover everything you need to know about the people in the business of law. My name's Rob Joyner. I'm the VP of Sales and Marketing at Centerbase.
1: And I'm Amanda Copeless. I've been in law firm leadership for over 16 years, and I can't wait to share some of these stories with you. Rob and I could talk forever, but don't worry, you won't have to hear our voices for too long. We have two special guests today, April Campbell, Executive Director from the Association of Legal Administrators, ALA, and Judy Hisong, President of Nesso Strategies. They have joined us to share some incredible wisdom and insight with you, but enough of us. We're dying
2: for you to hear them, so let's jump in.
0: Hi, Judy and April. Do you mind uh, <laughs> introducing each other to start out?
2: Sure. So I get to say whatever I want about April Campbell. Hmm.
0: Everything, anything and everything you want.
2: (laughs) Do not hold that. (laughs) Well, you know, the one word that comes to mind about April is dynamo. And and (laughs) she has been all over the legal industry. I mean, she started practicing law and then managing lawyers in small firm life and then managing lawyers in large firm life and doing pro bono stuff in large firm life and now running the association of legal administrators as the executive director i mean that's she she makes impact wherever she goes and it's so impressive um I, i was trying to think to think back to the year that i i met april At a small firm round table and i think it was right after she joined as a member of ala and i knew from the minute i met her that she would be someone i wanted to know and that has been completely true
1: so what you're telling me just let me get this straight she worked with lawyers and then decided, uh, no, F that. I can no longer work with lawyers. <laughs> I just want to get that clear. Or I no longer want to be a lawyer and I do not want to work with lawyers.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I, I can't be clear on, on her uh, on her <laughs> mental stamina for any of that. What I do know is that um, she's very interested in, in improvement and continuous improvement and making things better. And I, I think that's really led her journey. That would be my impression of what's led her journey, as opposed to um, leaving people behind where, wherever she went. <laughs> that, again, would be something she'd have to speak to. <laughs> you know, we did move around
3: a lot as a family. I've left a lot of people behind. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there could be a lot of analyzing of that whole situation. <laughs>
2: Judy, anything else you want to tell us about April? No, I mean there's official and formal stuff that I think everybody could discover on their own. Like, you know, she's a Nittany Lion, which is its own problem. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think she, I think she likes being a Penn State person, and I'm just not sure it's good for her. But that's, <laughs> that's another discussion. So no, oh, I think God. I'm good. <laughs> okay.
1: So April, what can you tell us about Judy? Jude, well, it's funny, Judy
3: mentioned the first time we met, um, Judy was the chair of the annual conference committee for ALA in Montreal, I believe it was 2006, because I joined ALA, ALA in 2005. And um, I ventured up to Montreal to attend my first ALA conference. And um, Judy sat down at the table at this small firm ID exchange, I didn't know a soul at this conference. And I, she just stood out to me because I remember thinking... I think she's the person who was up on stage
1: at the beginning. <laughs> that sounds about right. Like Judy spending years being on the stage sounds just about right. <laughs> that could be anybody's story. <laughs> yeah, and, and
3: now and here, now here she is sitting at my table and I have no idea what I'm talking about because I only have ever been a lawyer. I've never Run a, a law firm. So I did just, I don't really remember anybody else that I met at that first conference, but I do remember Judy like it was yesterday. I can picture her in my mind, where she sat down at the table, wow. um, those things. It just made such an impression on me. And then I, I got really lucky. Judy moved to Seattle in her career journey and her personal life journey, and it allowed us to, to become friends. So Judy had you know, started introducing me to people in ALA as I rolled through some leadership roles. And she, she was kind of my own personal <laughs> networker. I know she, now I know she did that for many people. She still continues to do it, but, uh, you know, she was always hooking me up and connecting with people, me with people that she thought I needed to know. And, uh, that always has stuck with me as well as, um, Judy goes out of her way to connect people and, and enhance, others experiences and I think that's really cool. And then Judy was my coach for a little bit too. I had taken a job at a large firm and it was a little out of my element and she was my kind of coach for that, which was great. And now she's my boss on the board of directors, <laughs> one of them.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so Judy and I've had many iterations of our our relationship and all along the way, I know she's kind of that person in my back pocket that I can pull out and will give me the real deal and hold up the mirror and um, hold me accountable, which is, it's good to have that person in your life. So Judy's many, many things to me and uh,
1: I'm grateful to have her in my life, frankly. And Judy, what do you do now? This is a loaded question that I had teed up and ready to go in case April didn't get to
0: that. I was about to ask myself.
3: (laughs) Well, I forgot to say I feel bad. So Judy is currently the principal and owner of Nesso Strategies, which means, you know, we think we all work with lawyers or had worked with lawyers. Judy really gets to kind of see the inside. The, the underbelly of some some of these law firms um, and other organizations that she works with. But I'll let so you know more.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, so it's speaking, coaching, strategic planning, being an all around guru. And from what we on the board of directors call her, it's just basically Mama Judy, because <laughs> she leads us all. I mean, I'm sitting on the board of directors now because Judy called me and said, Amanda, get your shit together. You need to get your application in. And we talked a little bit when we talked to Debbie and Mike about the gremlins. And I spent an hour telling Judy all the reasons I shouldn't be on the board of directors. Mm -hmm. And she said, no, no, get it together. Come on up. (laughs) (laughs) And I will say one more thing about April. She said, I took some leadership roles with ALA. And I just want to make sure everybody knows it wasn't just some leadership roles she was president of the association and she downplayed that a little bit yes uh i think that's a i mean
0: it's a pretty big
1: deal so don't don't sell yourself short april amanda how
0: did you meet the two of them
1: i I remember specifically where i met april and this is going to sound a very redundant story but i met her in a bar. And I was there working. That's the euphemism we all use uh, on this podcast. I was there working and it was with a friend of mine. And she said, oh, I think we're meeting uh, this girl, April, for drinks. And this was in Vegas. And I want to say it was at a CLI, just because I remember the hotel we were at. Mm -hmm. And April comes just flying in like this graceful, like, here I am. Everybody get ready to recognize and appreciate me and i remember <laughs> judy tell me i'm wrong no you're right <laughs> and so she comes in and i remember she's wearing these like leggings and april i was trying to describe i think they were like shiny maybe leather leggings oh, leather. And I, i'm sorry and i'm thinking wow i could never pull those leggings off like good for her to really be rocking it and heels you're known for like wearing kitten heels or really cool shoes, right? I wonder, I'm surprised. You probably have, how many pairs of shoes do you have?
3: Oh, it's embarrassing to say. I actually, um, well, to give you an idea, I just cleaned out my closet this weekend and I gave away 25 pairs of shoes. (laughs) I barely made a dent.
1: (laughs) We were at another bar working recently and I had these new shoes on. I'm like, oh, these are so cool. And uh, Jenna, who's our millennial on the, um, the board, looks down and she's like, Yeah, those are okay, but look at April. She got them from Nordstrom. I'm like, oh, right? <laughs> just when I think I have reached that pinnacle of coolness, I shot back down and, and, and centered again. And so I met Judy. I, I kind of don't remember. I think it was, <laughs> she's always just been there. Uh, I think it was when you spoke at a conference, like a small strategic thing we had with the Austin chapter of ALA and it was one of those, uh, personality tests and you'll, you can remind me exactly which one it was. Uh, (laughs) but everybody got, it's a color, right? So everybody gets assigned a color and you go to the corner of your room and the people in that corner share some of the same personality Uh, traits that you do. And all I remember is I was standing in a corner pretty much by myself. There was only (laughs) one other person in that corner. And I'm thinking, oh, I don't know if this is good or bad, but I mean, you know, I'm unique, but I don't know if I want to be standing in front of all these people being this unique. (laughs) Uh, Judy, what color was I? I'm sure it was like, sparkles
2: with-, <laughs> <laughs> with a little rainbow now and again. <laughs> yeah. Accentuated with a kitten heel. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. I can't pull off a kitten.
1: Heel. I do love my heels, but, uh, I'm not as great at them. And, you know, we're going to talk, I think the next question is going to be asking you to what your favorite ALA conference is. but
0: Amanda, I think, you are getting me out of order.
1: I I'm so, oh, are we? Okay. Well, let me, Because I'm telling you how I know Judy, I really want to tell you this story. We were at an ALA conference in Grapevine, and this one keeps kind of coming up. And I don't remember all the details, so I'm going to ask you guys to remind me. But I think it was our ending speaker. Was it our closing speaker?
3: It was the Brezina speaker. So the one the foundation sponsors, who's it, you know, and they usually speak on ethics or, you know, something less general and a little more specific about maybe diversity and inclusion. But yeah, it was the Tuesday morning, I think, or Wednesday morning.
1: So our, this planned speaker could not get there, had some sort of emergency. And the night before, Judy, I guess someone approached you and said, hey, can you do this huge session in front of all of the attendees? Tomorrow, hundreds of people. And she said, what, Judy? Was it, <laughs> sure? Was it absolutely sure? Of course I will do it. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean,
2: the, the, the real story is that somebody, somebody on the foundation board approached me and said, um, do you know somebody we could get that could cover for the <laughs> And, um, and you know, my mind went to that place that I go to a lot, which is, you know, I'm gay. So every, I must know every gay on the planet. So let me just, <laughs> I'll just dial up Ellen and she'll be right over. <laughs> right. And so they were, they wanted a, um, a big name and somehow, you know, they were asking me and I recognized that they were asking me cause I appreciated that and was flattered by the ask. And, um, but the reality is I didn't know anybody who would be able to be there the next day. And I don't really hang out with rich and famous beyond April Campbell. So, um, <laughs> So it, I, I, it took me a long while to, to go back to them and say, um, you know, here's a crazy idea, but, uh, you know, I could do it. And, and then they yeah. had to go talk about it and decide if I was okay <laughs> to do it. Um, and so it was actually, they actually knew about 48 hours beforehand, but they didn't come back to me and say, well, I guess you'll do. <laughs> It's kinda of how it felt. I know that's not really what they meant, but you know, when you when they gotta go vote on it and do all that stuff, you're kinda of like, Wait a minute, what am I, chop But yeah, I think <laughs> that's where they were at with that. So yeah, that's the nice. backstory of that. So how what, did you
0: prepare in such a short time? Yeah, day?
1: that's what I was gonna
2: ask. Um, I pretty much sequestered myself in my hotel room and took pieces of paper and ripped them up into note card size and wrote stories on them. They initially had asked me if I would, uh, you know, if they gave me her talking points, if I would talk to her speech. And, um, we're talking about the woman who's the president of the HRC human rights campaign. So I did not want to try to talk to someone else's points and promise them a talk on diversity and inclusion and felt like I had enough legal industry and personal experience that I could come up with something. And so I kind of locked myself away and went through it a thousand times. And what ended up getting delivered was some of what I planned to say, but there were definitely <laughs> some moments that I was pretty determined to not talk about on that big of a stage that I ended up talking about.
1: And you told some powerful personal stories. And it, I, you know, I wear makeup at conferences, which I don't normally do. And I had mascara streaks down Aww. my face just like sobbing because I'm thinking you are sharing some very intimate stories with a good purpose, but I think it will always stick with me that not only, I I don't know that it was because you didn't have the time or it was because the story was so fantastic, but at the time I'm like, oh my God, I love Judy. I cannot even, <laughs> that's what I aspire to be is someone who can make this presentation in, in a few hours and <laughs> do that.
0: So I'm getting this totally out of order, but, you know, one question we were interested in asking both of you, uh, you both have experience on the big stage. You both have experience speaking in front of people. And a lot of our audience, I'm going to guess, wants to get into leadership, right? They want to take a bigger role in their local chapters. They want to take a bigger role maybe on the national stage as well. Do you have any tips for people that are doing that for the first time, getting in front of people, having those, you know, maybe having some of that fear? How, How did you guys both overcome that?
1: I think I really settled
3: in once I realized I just needed to be myself. Um, I I remember deliberately, I I think probably the biggest stage I've had to speak on was at, you know, an ALA annual conference with the Mm -hmm. teleprompter and the lights Mm -hmm. and, you know, you can barely see anybody in the room and, I just remember thinking like, Oh, I have to wear a suit because everyone else has worn a suit that's up here. And then I'm like, I don't even own a suit. So (laughs) I just don't even know that that would be a comfortable thing for me to be in. And I remember I wore a dress and it was, uh, you wouldn't think it was such a big deal, but the AV uh, team didn't even know where to put my mic then because I didn't have a waist, you know, something Mm. around my waist to hang the mic pack on and they had to figure out a another system for that. And, you know, I think that was just an example of like, just being comfortable. And, you know, one of the things that Judy did at um, the session that she spoke at that Amanda just talked about was being vulnerable. And that part of that is being yourself. And I think that really, I don't want to say it lowers expectations. But when you're speaking, you know, people put you up like literally elevate you on a stage in their their minds because that's where you're standing and I think it's so much easier to speak publicly when you kind of put yourself on the level with everybody else in the room. It makes them um, a little more forgiving. <laughs> mm-hmm. I I mean I use humor um, because that's what I'm I'm comfortable with and I discovered that if I have something prepared and I try to read it word for word, then I'm not really being myself. And so I, you know, I get comfortable and I operate off of bullet points and Mm -hmm. I go off script many, many, many times. Um, And sometimes it gets you in trouble and sometimes it doesn't. But at the end of the day, I feel like the, whoever's listening, the audience is always forgiving (laughs) and, and really gracious with you and all your, your faults and everything up there. I, we put too much pressure on ourselves and yeah. it's okay to just be a regular person up there, but sharing, you know, sharing something that's meaningful. I one time shared a clip of me failing on a game show. Oh yes. I completely <laughs> forgot about that what A game show. Oh, this is the best. I was like, who wants to be a millionaire? And I showed the clip to you know, tell a story and make a point, but uh, nobody got the point or the story. All everybody <laughs> could talk about was like, "I cannot believe you showed that to us. You showed us your failure," um, and that's what everybody remembered. Like you know, that must have been really embarrassing for you, essentially. (laughs) Thanks for sharing. (laughs) But but it was interesting that that was the takeaway and it was really meaningful to everybody. And I think it made me really approachable uh, from that point forward, which is something that is important to me, um, Mm -hmm. that I'm able to, you know, be available and approachable. And it's always been an important role in whatever job I've had and uh, whether it's volunteer or otherwise. So, yeah, I I think it's understanding the power you have when you're on the stage and figuring out how you want to use it, uh, but be comfortable with yourself. And then it it just flows and practice. I mean, that's such a cliche, you know, that you need to practice to be a good speaker. And that's true. The more you do it, the the better you get. And you don't ever want to get too comfortable then you'll probably make an idiot of yourself, which I think I've, <laughs> I've, you know, I've borderline done that a few times too. And and then that's a good wake up call to reel it back a little bit. So
0: I feel like the teleprompter is a whole nother level. Like that would be a separate conversation working with a teleprompter.
3: Yeah, it's kind of a nightmare. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's hope I never have to work with a teleprompter because yeah. I like to go off script 1000%.
3: So. Yeah, well, once you go off, it's hard to get back on that teleprompter. Mm-hmm. They might as well just, you know, turn it
2: off. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: Judy, and, what about you? I mean,
2: I mean, a couple of things I would say. Um, April's right on all of that. Uh, and and what I have noticed about folks who don't have that um, in their lives regularly is, is that they forget to breathe.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, and, and a big part of being in front of a room is presence and part of that presence is maintaining your cadence um, and in that in your breath mm. the other thing I would say is and April just talked about this with her video which was an awesome vulnerability moment for everybody but letting go of what people will take away right I mean I so a perfect example you know Amanda Um, was in tears in the audience. I was on stage. I had zero ideas that anybody in the audience was having an emotional response to a story that I lived. And um, having lived it, it doesn't have as much emotional tether to me as it did for the audience who hadn't lived it. Uh, I had no attachment to it. I had a lot of attachment to some of the other things that I was hoping people would take away from that particular talk, including getting off the backstop, getting off of policy and, and into action. Um, and so so letting go of where the audience might take it and knowing that what you deliver, if everybody gets something, then that's a win. Um, but not having to try to drive a point home for the people to get stuff.
1: I like that idea. I like the you know, they say your if if your listeners can take just a couple of things away from your speech then you have accomplished. They're never going to take it all away. Right? Yeah. Right. And so, but I like the concept of don't try to force what they're going to take away. Right. Give your, give your speech and let them take away what is most meaningful to them. And I, I like that advice a lot. I don't over-prepare for speeches. Well, kind of technically, I don't prepare because I'm very deadline oriented and sometimes those deadlines speak up on me. So, but those are both good. Like the breathing, that's a, a an amazing choice. So. Judy, kind of transition, not really transitioning, but you have really made a huge personal journey through ALA, right? So, I, I we pull people out of their comfort zone here. But <laughs> you, <laughs> when you first joined ALA, you were not out, right? right. You kept your personal life very, very secret, yeah. or, or to that extent. Yep. And then you got married, and everybody knew about it, and you shared that, and... You know, can you talk a little bit about that journey and, and how that went for
2: you? Well, you know, there was a point in time in ALA history when there was a um, a support group. I don't remember what it was called, maybe just LGBT support group uh, that met at conference. That was really the space, the the forming of the group was about helping people who wanted to work with their LGBT employees, but there weren't laws to support that. And so it ended up being a whole lot of um, the gays at conference who weren't out and who just wanted to feel like someone in the hall, they could pass on their way to a session that they knew. Um, and in working my way into that group, uh, and then it eventually went away, but working my way into that group was already kind of scary for me Um, a lot of that centered on my family of origin and stuff that didn't feel safe there and um, it took me this is the piece I would say in general I, I don't know it is one thing to be out and feel like everybody around you accepts you it is another thing to be out and accept yourself
0: right
2: and and I don't know that um people who aren't in the LGBTQI plus community, understand the self part as well. It's just hard to be there when you're not there. Um, and that was, that was a big part of the journey. It, it was also, um, I was, I was raised in an environment where you just didn't put your shit in the street. I'm not, I will not swear, but your stuff didn't go on the street. So whatever was going on stayed close. And, um, and so that's the environment I lived in for a long time. I went to my firm's holiday party without a date for years, years and years. And that was, you know, a pretty small group of folks in my circle of San Diego. Um, I still didn't do it. So I I think over time, part of it, um, had to do with, uh, family of origin changes. And part of it had to do with me recognizing that, uh, I am who I am and the people who aren't going, going to like me aren't going to like me anyway, regardless of <laughs> my, um, my lesbianism. Sorry. <laughs> We're all processing this. I tr-
0: yeah. I was sitting here, pro- I was sitting here <laughs> processing that. And usually I had something to say and <laughs> on the topic of being vulnerable and honest. I had nothing that I could come up with. Um, on that. is that because so,
1: you are not vulnerable and honest yourself or
0: no, because I was sitting there listening and I was in, in, in listening to her story and I wasn't mentally preparing <laughs> what I wanted to say next.
1: You were in the moment. I was
0: in the moment. moment. I was appreciating the moment. So, so the next, uh, topic we want to talk about April, apparently you and Amanda were working in a bar, which is a common theme, <laughs> uh, with Amanda the number of bar stories we could maybe have a drinking game, Amanda, for people I, listening to the podcast. I told Every you time. I wanted
1: no. I told you I wanted to name this podcast at the bar because of like the double entendre, but apparently a lot of other attorneys had already stolen. Yeah. Them.
0: So Amanda, go ahead. So you guys were at the bar working, and <laughs> you, you started talking about some story April had with an Uber driver, some conversation she had.
1: Yeah, that's that's April. You want to <laughs> tell us how you have been inspired by Uber drivers? Yeah, well, um, <laughs> I had been in
3: the, the bar that we happened to be in was in Atlanta in a hotel lobby, but uh, we were there for a meeting and um, I have family. I actually went to high school in Atlanta and I have family and friends in Atlanta and um you know, me, I go big or I go home. So uh, whatever I go anywhere, I, I feel like I know people all over the country. And I was trying to squeeze uh, little visits in with them. And so I was trying to squeeze a visit in with my brother and his family. And um, after a meeting, I was, you know, trying to get to 15 minutes away that ended up being an hour away and like a $75 ride or something, but okay. <laughs> it was crazy, but I actually had a three in a row. I had three drivers I had engaged with and I am typically the person who Anytime I'm in a rideshare car, it's because I'm going to the airport, I'm coming back from the airport, I'm on my way somewhere, and I'm trying to catch up on my life in some way, usually involving (laughs) my phone and email. (laughs) Um, And I I very rarely engage. I'm actually, this is hard to believe, I'm I'm an introvert. I'm an extroverted introvert. And so when I get in a car, I like to just kind of power down and, you know, get, gear myself back up for whatever I'm I'm going to engage in. So I very rarely, um, chat up the driver and, um, on the way to the hotel from the airport, the driver was super chatty and we got into a hilarious conversation about the high school I went to in Atlanta. And, um, the driver was familiar with it and telling me all kinds of things about famous people who had now uh, graduated from there and the whole Atlanta music, music scene, knew this high school because of its tie to a group. And and it was, it was fascinating. And I was like, Oh gosh, I'm so glad I engaged with that, with that driver. And then on the way to visit my brother and his family, it was Friday afternoon rush hour. And I was all kind of keyed up for, from, you know, everything I needed to prepare for the next day and everything that had gone on that day. And I got in the car and I was like, Oh, I just don't feel like talking to anybody right now. And the driver was not, like, pushy, not super chatty, but just really friendly. And then she just started talking to me, like, throughout the ride. (laughs) And finally, I was like, I am actually going to pay attention to what you're saying because this is so fascinating. And we were driving through all these back neighborhoods because the main roads were so busy. And she was pointing out all these houses that she thought would be great converted into restaurants. And I was like, that's interesting. Okay, tell me more. And so I started asking her questions and here she was, you know, getting ready to start her own restaurant business coming out of the pandemic. And she was telling me about her family's passion for food and her passion for food and, uh, you know, why she wanted to be this restaurant entrepreneur um, and, you know, she was like, this was going to be like a sixth or seventh career choice for her, you know, her career iteration. Um, And she, you know, had come to realize that this was her her passion and life and she was going to go for it. The pandemic had made her realize that, you know, you just need to to go out and just grab it, um, which I found really inspirational. And then two hours later, I was in a another ride on the way back to the hotel and this guy had his car all lit up it was like a concession stand meets a (laughs) club it had the light and it had the you know the thing draped over the front passenger seat that had like movie size every snack you could think of it was like going into a 7-eleven and um and he was like an enthusiastic chatter, I'll call him. And he was telling me about how he had never been on an airplane before until the pandemic, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. And he flew to Mexico um, to, to make a big change in his life. And he was it was a really big risk for him to go down there and take this trip. And he took a friend that he really trusted and felt safe with and went down there and um, embarked on this like life-changing event for himself and he came back and he was like i don't know why i was so scared to ever you know just go for what i want and he said i've never been happier in my life and he was like the most joyous person i've ever encountered and i thought oh my gosh like I, I've talked to three, <laughs> three drivers in the last 48 hours, and I, they just made me feel so great about life and inspired by their stories about you know just kind of going for it. And um, I thought, wow, I'm, I need to stop being up in my own business all the time and just pay attention to what's going on in the world. And I, I feel like I am a really observant person, but I don't always interact with people I don't know. Um, I tend to interact very widely and loudly with those that I'm comfortable
1: with, but um, not those that you know. <laughs> widely and loudly, Rob. Does that sound like anybody else you know? <laughs> um, yes. It was, yeah, it was. Yeah, I, Amanda and I do have something for sure. Um,
3: it, was, it was like an aha moment for me that you know you can find inspiration just about anywhere if you're open to it and you know, to to look out and up more often than we're looking down and in. And I think especially um, since we've all been holed up in our houses, it's we have to retrain our brains for that
1: to to be social again. So um, well, in April, you
0: you know, especially that first the first conversation you had, it it was about taking chances and just going for it, looking at what you've done in your career. Yeah, you've done different things, although you've stayed mostly in legal you've done a lot of different things mm-hmm. could you talk to that for a second how you went from one thing to another your your career progression and and how you made those jumps how it felt uh, going through that
3: yeah i think everyone was a little bit of a, a risk uh, jump for me mm-hmm. i stay in a job until i feel like i'm not learning anymore or that i'm um, not uh, motivated <laughs> to give anymore you know so When I I practiced law for a while, a little bit, about five years, I guess. And I just, you know, I remember Seattle used to have this elevated roadway called the Viaduct. And I'd Uh drive on that every morning. And one morning, I remember thinking to myself, "Ah, I could drive off this thing and then I wouldn't have to go to work today. (laughs) And it wasn't like, (laughs) it was like I just wanted to, you know, end up you know, not having to go to work. Like I just wanted a little bruise. Speaking
0: of me. honesty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Speaking was, like, of being vulnerable, <laughs>
1: I would like to drive off uh...
3: <laughs> drive off of it, because that probably would have killed me. I just wanted to like get a little bruised up so I wouldn't have to go to work. And I thought, that is really messed up, you know. So I started um, I just the managing partner at the time was someone who I had trusted and he had given me an opportunity Um, at the firm when, you know, I wasn't even sure I wanted it. He kind of talked me into it and I I knew he had my back. So I, I just, our administrator was leaving and she'd been there since the inception of the firm. And I remember saying to him, I will, I think I want to do this job. And he knew that I was looking at other things. I had, um, been offered jobs at non, uh, nonprofits and doing some work in domestic violence, um, areas and with some nonprofits that dealt with domestic violence issues and so he knew I was looking and antsy and uh he said I'll let you do it but you have to join ALA and I was like what the hmm. heck is that you know so <laughs> I, I jumped right in on that one so that was a risk and then I after I was there probably there a third total of 12 years but had been the administrator for seven I guess and um I just found myself being unmotivated, you know, kind of like just getting in that lull where, you know, it's the same old, same old every day. And, um, it, you know, the there were not, there was not a lot of progression. Things were a little stagnant with the firm and I was getting antsy and somebody that I knew through ALA actually let me know of a position that was opening up and it was going to be um, like a pay cut for me, but I knew I wanted to go to a large firm and check it out and see what else I could learn. So that was, you know, a risk that I took there. And then while I was there, I took like two other jobs. (laughs) Things opened up and I went to different departments and tried new things. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, I, I like to learn a lot and where I think I can add value. I'm willing to take the risk. I think a lot of people, um, See me as a calculated risk taker. I don't just jump from, you know, whatever the shiny new object is. I do think about it and I want to make sure that it's something I feel like I can add value to the situation. Um, but sometimes it's just my gut. If my gut tells me I want to, you know, that I should try something, I, I do. And clearly, this uh, latest adventure (laughs) as the executive director of ALA. I mean, that was a big leap. You know, that's uh, the association world. I don't, I didn't really know much about. I'm learning more and more every day, but I knew, I felt like I knew the association and I knew the members because I had been one. Um, and I felt that, you know, there was, I had something to give there that would benefit the association. Then I kind of went for it. But, you know, I think the biggest thing about taking risks is you have to know that they might not work out. You want to commit enough to it so that you give it your all, but, um, you know, not be disappointed in yourself if it doesn't, if it doesn't work out or it only works out for a short period of time. Or, you know, I took some risks when I was at the large firm by taking a new job, like every two or year, two years. And I thought they right. were going to think, um, you know, I'm this like crazy person who can't sit still, but, um, you know, they didn't, they didn't see it that way. Um, so, you know, so, and I wasn't, great at all of the jobs I tried. I was really good at (laughs) some, and not so great at others. And I think it's, you know, I think it's fun. I enjoy testing myself and putting myself in areas where it's not really comfortable. I think for me, that's how I stay
1: interested and don't get bored. Um, Okay. So, so talking about Rob, I'm going to interrupt you. Um, Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So talking about taking a risk, Going out and learning and failing. Judy, your story mirrors that, right? So will you talk a little bit about how your your story it gives me hives, I think a little bit, thinking about what you do, uh and and putting all your eggs in all your basket of yourself and succeeding based off of what you are able to accomplish and not what others are also able to accomplish. So
2: Can you talk about your journey a little bit? Well, you know, I will say that and this is part of um, one of one of the reasons why I think um, I admire and love April so much is because it is that continual learning journey for me. So I was um, I was having a conversation with my father in 2008, actually three days before he died. We didn't know that then. Um, where he said I was talking about starting my own business and leaving and, and that one of the things that I did not want to do was leave this position I was holding on the board of directors at ALA. It, um, it, it wasn't I didn't feel like it was a good thing to quit. And um, and his advice to me was to not do anything until I had been president of the association because he had regretted that. He had had the opportunity to be president of the International Lions Association and he um, had changed jobs and wasn't able to fulfill that. And he had regretted it forever. And so a couple of things I didn't know about my dad, obviously, but along the same time, he, he was basically his last words of advice to me were don't do this until you've been president of that association. Um, and obviously I didn't heed his words because I ended up <laughs> resigning from the board you know, six months later and starting Neso, um, right as the world was falling apart in 2009. So, um, you know, I, it was risky. It, it was very, um, was it calculated is the, is where, when April was saying that I'm like, was it calculated. Yeah, maybe. And maybe cause I was betting on myself. The, the thing is, I, I felt like I was already, um, I was already helping a lot of people from my position inside of a firm, and I wasn't able to help them as well as I could because of all of the antitrust rules about knowing things um, and that I would find my way. Um, and I have a, I have a recurring I, I don't remember my dreams very much. There's a very personal um, sharing for you. I don't remember my dreams very much, but the only, the only time that I, that I remember them are when, when things are stressful for me, um, financially and, and, you know, let's be real. There's always tomorrow, but there are days where I'm like, Oh, nothing on the horizon. What are you doing here? Eh, You can always go load a truck at UPS. (laughs) You can always go make coffee at Starbucks. And so I have these dreams about, Oh, I'm at Starbucks making coffee, which, you know, the joke is I don't drink coffee. I have no idea about coffee, no idea what goes in coffee, nothing about it whatsoever. Anyway, so, um, so yes, I had made some moves. Um, I actually had started a business before Nestle Strategies, and I was doing personal training and some, um, some things in that regard already kind of on the side. Um, that physical mental combination is really my passion and where I wonder about people in general, like how connected people are. So I feel very fortunate that every day seems to, things seem to keep happening for me and uh, the business keeps going. And I'm grateful for that. And every curve, it seems like there's another thing to learn and another way to apply it. And all of that feels very fun for me.
0: Judy, are you a tea drinker? No, no. Uh-uh.
1: Okay, Judy's like bro. the healthiest person.
0: so. A tea's healthy. No, I, 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 I just, understand I was looking that. for alignment. I
1: understand that, but the whole vices of like your drinking a pitcher it's of It's not tea. a vice. Okay. <laughs> All right. Go with it. My new vice
0: is the Peloton. How about oh that? Oh, my
1: God. I cannot with your Peloton. I, okay, I just okay. can't. If they do not want to hear about it. I assure you.
0: Okay. I'm not going to bore you with it. Wait, so, so I... Judy, I have a follow up question for you. So a lot of your business is, you know, you're having to go pitch yourself and selfishly I'm asking this. So you're having to pitch yourself to law firms. You're having to get buy-in from some of these attorneys. How do you do that?
2: (laughs) Well, it starts with a prayer. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I don't know. I think I'm probably the worst at selling myself. Um, Uh in fact, the people I have that do my newsletter and marketing stuff are always reminding me that I have opportunities that I don't do a very good job of pursuing. Um, so I'm probably not the best person to offer advice on it. Uh, what I would say in general is I, I simply look to help. And, Uh you know, once I've, once I've added some value to your life, wherever it fits, then there's an opportunity for us to be connected. And if I end up doing work for somebody then that's bonus. And thankfully I get a lot of bonus, but I also get to know a lot of people and help them with what, uh, with where they wanna go. And that's what my hashtag is world domination for good. And what I mean yeah. by that is that, um, that I'll touch one person and they'll touch one person and we'll all make the world a better place.
0: So April, I wanted to jump back to you for a second since Amanda cut me off and said oh she was gosh. gonna jump in. I, I, I have a question for you. So you've gone from small firm, then you went big, and then you went back to small before you became the executive director. What are some of the pros and cons you see to both sides? If somebody's considering going from one to the other, uh, what would you tell them?
3: Yeah, you know they're completely different. Um, small firms, you know, are so different firm to firm, um, and mm-hmm. I, I don't know about large firms but you know it is harder to get things done in a large firm I will say that Um, it's just you have to go through more processes I remember I was on I think I was president-elect of the association and I had to get permission um, when I was at a large firm to go to the conference and I remember (laughs) (laughs) kind of have to be there (laughs) don't get permission you know it it just didn't even occur to me that that was a process I have to go through but there you know is a little more I hate to use the word bureaucratic but you know I think yeah. the larger firms are just and they have to be they have so many employees and things have to be done a certain way whereas you know smaller firms it's some of it is on a whim you know if mm-hmm. can, you, can you I always to figure out like I would know the best time to ask the managing partner for something that I knew they wouldn't necessarily want to give, (laughs) Uh, you know, what, what was going on in in the legal cycle or whether they just came back from vacation. Um, because I feel like smaller firms, a a lot of people who work at small firms have worked at larger firms and they don't like the structure and the policies and, um, you know, that sort of thing. So I think a lot of it is personality. Do you like structure? Um, if so, I think a, a big firm is is great because there's a whole lot more structure there. You know what you're going to get. You know what to expect. Um, and the smaller smaller firms, um, you can make a huge impact in small firms mm-hmm. because it, you have the opportunity to talk to everybody and get everybody on board, um, and and have those conversations and sell. Like you just asked Judy about sell your idea, right. your you know, your concept or the change you want to make to the attorneys in the office. Um, There's it's I've learned great thing. One of the reasons I went to a larger firm was I was so tired of being the um, the generalist. I felt like Uh I Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I could I knew how to get by in every area, but I wasn't I didn't have deep knowledge in any one particular area. And I really wanted to learn from people. I wanted to be surrounded by people who were specialists and who had, you know, depth of knowledge in particular areas, whether it be HR or facilities or, um, you know, just even practice management, those types of things. So that's why I went um, to the large firm and man, did I learn so much. I mean, I really learned from those people who have done that, nothing but benefits administration their whole life and, yeah. you know, working side by side um, with them through things and, you know, how to put somebody on a performance improvement plan. I, you know, I'd read about it, <laughs> but I hadn't seen it in action. Um, You know, and I had, I think I had like over 30 direct reports when I was at the large firm and that was more people that were at my entire small firm. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
3: You know, so just, I don't know, learning. It was all about the learning, learning from other people. Um, but yeah, they're, they're very different. But at the end of the day, everybody's doing the same thing. They're all, you know, you're trying to provide legal services. <laughs> it's the same.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Rob, did you catch that allusion to every small firm is different and unique? we're different because i mean how many times have you heard that in your career?
0: oh so many, <laughs> <Yeah>. so many. <laughs> i'll put that up there with we're going to grow really fast
1: we're going to <laughs> grow really fast we can make yeah. this decision quickly and yeah. uh we're so different because
0: uh-huh. mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> I would think, I just, i just um, go along with it yeah i mean every firm has its individual culture the right. drivers are relatively the same you know the mm-hmm. the drivers are still the same and and how you um maneuver within the space is always dependent on who are the personalities in the room
2: mm-hmm.
3: um and and lawyers we know have those you know seven or nine particular personality traits and um i always say that must be why i did make a good lawyer uh, <laughs> <laughs> i fall outside some of those um you know, sometimes, but the, you know, getting, pe- getting lawyers in particular to want to try something different is a real skill. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think, I think there's some people in our industry who have really figured it out, how to, how to move, how to move lawyers for change. Oh, and present me.
1: company
0: included.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't you know, talking Amanda, about
0: <laughs> Amanda, do you want to add anything to that? Uh,
1: Sounds like you do. Uh, well, my my career journey is very similar to April's, except for that whole smart going to law school thing. But I also worked at a small firm mm-hmm. and then went to a big firm, and it was really for the exact same reasons. I knew a lot at the small firm, and it was great. And you know, I was head chef and bottle washer, like we talk about cleaning toilets and fixing them. And then I went to a large firm, and it really expanded my depth of knowledge because of the subject matter experts. Because yeah. of this is the person who does benefits and she's going to teach you enough about benefits so that when you take your next rare move, you can bring that with you. And then I went down to a medium-sized firm where I, I now have some bottle washers, but I still have to cook a lot, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and
3: You know, I, I will say when you said that, Amanda, it reminded me of one of my favorite things about being at a large firm was the camaraderie that you have with your peers, mm-hmm. right. um, the other people in, in management. Um or at the director level or, you know, all the "quote unquote" non-lawyer staff. Um, uh-huh. But to be surrounded by those people. And, I, you know, when you are an administrator, a small firm, and you try to go on vacation, it's like impossible. I remember being on maternity leave uh-huh. and waking up
1: at 3 a.m. and running bills. Oh, know? my gosh. <laughs> I ran payroll from my hospital bed. Yeah. After I had given birth, I brought my laptop in. The baby's there crying and nobody else knows how to run payroll. So, yep. and we'll talk to a lot of small firm people. And then we've talked to some big firm people who have done that branch administration they, and that camaraderie, that finding your peer. Mm-hmm. And that actually kind of leads me into my next question. And this is different than what we planned, but somebody told me once, and Judy, I want you to answer this question. ALA is a little bit like a drug.
2: Right. Once we get in, we cannot get enough. Why do you think that is? Well, well, I I mean, I, I think it's because for for most. For exactly what you're talking about with April, you know, for most firms, I'm the only one who does whatever it is that I do in that firm. And so I'm I'm continually looking for a colleague. You know, somebody who's on this pain point journey with me, and that's where ALA comes in. You no, know, and we, yeah. you know, we, the, those of us that are members of the association, which doesn't take away from people who aren't members who still take advantage of the education and other opportunities, but those of us that are members know that when we get together, we have already something in common. Right. It's just, yeah, it's just built in, there's some built in pain points together and not, I mean, for lack of a better way to say that, you know, it's, it, 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 and because of the nature of the beast, I, I I think it gives us different relationships with business partners than a lot of other associations, you know, because there is, there is that recognition of, oh, you, you can help me, you know, stuff that I I can't figure out or that, um, that I need help solving.
1: I literally
0: would not know a single thing about forming a relationship with a business partner. No,
1: you wouldn't, Amanda. Where's my laugh? That felt so (laughs) (laughs) so heavy. I
0: was trying to decide what I wanted to do. But I mean, even from my perspective, you know, I'm listening to what you're saying, Judy, and it's so true. I I, I routinely say if somebody were to put a million dollars in front of me and say, spend this on something from a marketing perspective, I'd put it into the ALA. Um, because it's such a tight community, everybody supports everyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's, you know, I go to a lot of different conferences and work with a lot of different associations. There's nothing like the ALA. Mm -hmm. It is such a great group uh, of people and and I thoroughly Mm -hmm. enjoy it. And I'm looking forward to, to, uh, getting down to Austin in October and for us all to be back in person, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah.
2: But, but I think it, you know, as you guys, you were talking about the bigger firms, it, it occurs to me that maybe one of the reasons ALA doesn't have as much appeal to those larger firms is because there is kind of an internal network of peers. Yep.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. That's exactly right. And that's, I was, you read my mind, Judy. Uh,
3: I was thinking that. And I, I think because when you are in that larger firm, you you don't have to go outside to uh, commiserate <laughs> or problem solve or, you know, I mean, sometimes you, it's still helpful. You still want to know what other firms are doing um, or, you know, you tried this. How did it go? You know, learn from other people's uh, experiments and failures. Uh, but that that camaraderie that is the glue for ALA, I think there's a piece of that that exists in in well-functioning large firms that network um, Mm -hmm. and that support exists within those organizations, which is really nice. Um, I always found it helpful to have that network, my large firm network, and then also my ALA network. Um, I thought it provided some good perspective. Uh, And I loved being in a large firm and being able to um, kind of translate what I learned at the large firm when I went back to the small firm. That was
1: really, Mm -hmm. really fun. Well, April, you are addicted to the drug since now you live <laughs> and breathe it every single day by leading the association. I, I think that that's, that's such a, um, amazing commitment that you're bringing to this association, that very background that I don't think our association has had before, because we've always hired these outside people who have the, like who have led other associations, but don't know what it's like to be an administrator. And, um, you know, I, I can't wait to see what you bring to the table. Mm-hmm. No pressure. No pressure. No pressure. Uh, so so, we'll, so we're going to wrap this up. And one of the things we're going to wrap this up with is our uh, snippet that we call Pitch Your Passion. And in this segment, we want you to talk about something that you're passionate about. And, and really, you know, it can be a variety of things. And we give everybody a really uh, big leeway on this. So, Judy, why don't you go first? Tell us something. You come on, I have to go
2: first all time. Oh, my
1: gosh. Okay, you know what? Do you want April to go first? Yes, or I do? do. Okay, all right, all right. There we go. <laughs> April, even though you just spoke, Judy would like you to tell about your passion first. Oh, and I will warn you that we have had a speaker already say ALA is his passion, so you cannot use that. So if that was your prep, if you were already ready to go on that, you're going to have to come up with something. Okay. Um,
3: <laughs> <laughs> now I, have uh, you know, it's hard for me. I cannot, this is sounds terrible, but there's not one particular thing I'm passionate about. Um, I, I feel like passionate about a lot of different things, but there is one common denominator. I think, you know, I was like, what do I like to do in my spare time? What do I, where do I spend my time doing? Not just, what do I like to do, but where actually is my time spent? And what do I talk to people about? And it's all, it, for me, it comes down to keeping and holding perspective. Um, And whether that's traveling, I love to travel. And I'm like, why do I love to travel so much? And I think it's because it helps me um, keep things in perspective. Um, When I, I love, I have a 13 year old, almost 13 year old son and I love just chatting to him about just everyday things and helping him develop his perspective. I like, um, I like. People always come to me for advice, and I think a lot of times it's not me giving advice; it's just checking their perspective. <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, I, I, um, I don't know. I just feel like we get so caught up in work and these things that are not important, and it's really great to check our perspective. I. I, every firm I've been in, people get all wound up and I'm like, you know, no one, we are not saving lives here. No one (laughs) is dying. like, let's just check ourselves. Why are we, you know, why is everyone so worked up about this? People get into conflict with each other. And I just, I'm really passionate about helping myself and helping other people keep things in perspective. Um, especially now with all these, um, you know, you've got the news and social media and it's really easy to get sucked in to, um, one perspective or, um, one really narrow, everything could be so specialized now. And I think it's, I really enjoy stepping back and thinking, you know, you've got like one life to live. What, what do you want to spend your time doing? What's important to you and what's important to you and how you relate to other people and, and what you're bringing to this world and that's i think at the end of the day what i'm passionate about is keeping myself in check with that and and keeping the people in my life in check with that and i'm not so great at it all the time so then i try to surround myself with those who help me um, keep that perspective and that's been a really um, important part for me you know family is important your health is important your mental well-being is important um, and happiness, being happy with your life and um, you know feeling joyful and, and your daily work, I think is really important. So I would say to you know somebody if you're not feeling if you're feeling unsettled or you're feeling out of whack, like what what perspective are you are you using and doing yeah. this through, you know?
1: I like that. And so Judy, what about you? What are you passionate
2: about? Yeah, I like that too. Thank you, April, for going first. Uh, Well, (laughs) I I think my passion in general is summarized as saying leadership. I'm very passionate about people being their best selves and um, seeing how I can contribute to helping people be better than they are today. I think it's a lifelong journey for us uh, one day at a time to be a little bit better than we were yesterday. And and, and in that regard, um, Nestle Strategies was ten, turned 10 years old uh, in 2019. Wow. Yeah, crazy, right? And, and so what we did... For Congratulations. Them, so thank that you. Thank it. you. And, uh, we sent out um, a thousand postcards to folks and said, we want to donate to Kiva. And Kiva basically is a worldwide lending organization that um, it, it's a loan. That you make to small micro businesses around the world, and so out of all you had to do was return the postcard, and we put in five dollars um, to Kiva. And so now my job is to once a month I go into Kiva and whatever loans have been repaid I reinvest. And so what I would say to anybody out there who ha- hasn't been um, hasn't been exposed to Kiva is to go check it out, and it's micro loans. It's very easy it's supporting uh, the, the choices I have made is to support women who are starting businesses around the world. And, uh, there's quite a variety of things to choose from. Uh, I, I think it's really important that we're all doing what we can do to support each other, not just here in our country, but all over.
0: That's great. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, we are out of time today, Judy, April, thank you guys so much for taking some time, uh, to do this podcast episode with us. Yeah.
2: Thanks, Thanks you for having us. It's been a delight.
1: <laughs> you know, you have to say that, like, no matter what, <laughs> like, whether you had fun or not, thank you for giving us that.
0: Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Mostly Legal Podcast. If you like what you heard today, make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode.
1: You can also check us out online on the Mostly TheMostlyLegalPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you can get weekly recaps as well as some cool takeaways from each episode.